Wonderful. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you all. Today, we're going to be looking at one of the most controversial figures in all of history. I'm not just talking about Bible history. I'm talking about history full stop. I'm talking about a figure who has become synonymous with greed and deceit and betrayal, a figure whose, whose name is kind of used uh, for those who leave the losing side in a battle and go and join the side that's in the ascendancy. I'm talking about a figure whose name is used for footballers who leave their boyhood clubs and go across town to the richer club who's going to give them some more money. I am, of course, talking about Judas. And today we're going to be looking at the tragic story of Judas Iscariot. Now, we're going to be coming into a part of the book of Luke uh, where uh, it's moved from a lot of teaching of Jesus to now some quite fast-paced narratives, some stories that happen at quite a pace. We're coming into the last uh, moments before Jesus is arrested and uh, put to death on the cross. And uh, it's in this moment that we're going to see Judas's betrayal. Now, there were more than one Judas in uh, the New Testament. In fact, there's probably several people called Judas. It's not a name you hear much of now, is it? You haven't, has anyone here met a Judas before? I doubt you have. If you have, I hope you felt sorry for them. There was, in fact, another disciple called Judas who unsurprisingly uh, decided that he quite liked his other name, which was Thaddeus. Um, but he's actually called Judas as well. I don't think he used that name much after this moment. But it was quite a popular name at the time. Not so much now. And we're about to see uh, why that is the case. Here we go. So we're in Luke chapter 22. And we're going to read verses 1 to 6. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. Passover is a major Jewish festival. It's where Jews commemorate the moment where God freed the, the, the Jewish people from slavery in Egypt, where they'd been under this oppressive rule, where they'd been slaves in Egypt under this oppressive rule of Pharaoh. God had come to a man called Moses, and he'd spoken to Moses uh, through a bush that was on fire but that wasn't burning up. And he said, you've got to go to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and say, let my people go. And again and again, Moses went to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh refused. And so God sent plagues upon the nation of Egypt, and plague after plague after plague, the, the, the Pharaoh was still resolved, I'm not going to... He quite liked having lots of slaves. And so... Finally, God sent one awful plague upon the nation of Egypt, which was that the, the angel of death one evening passed over the whole of the land and took the life of the firstborn son of every Egyptian family. Now, the Jewish families were instructed to sacrifice a lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and paint it over their door. And it was by doing that, that, that that they could ensure that the angel of death would pass over their house and that their firstborn sons would be saved. And it was at that moment that Pharaoh finally caved and said, okay, you can go. And it wasn't plain sailing after that moment, but that was the moment. That was the moment by which the power of Pharaoh was really broken as the angel of death had passed over the, uh, the nation of Egypt and taken the, the life of the firstborn son. So that's the Passover festival that's about to be celebrated in Jerusalem. So there's thousands of people in the city at this moment getting ready to celebrate. That's what's going on here. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. So because there's thousands of people in the city that wouldn't normally be there, many of them have come from the towns and villages that Jesus has been teaching in and doing miracles in, 
And so the, the religious leaders who want to get rid of Jesus because of their jealousy, they're thinking we've got to do this in secret because there's going to be a lot of people here who are going to oppose us arresting Jesus. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples. And he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted and they promised to give him money. Other gospel accounts tell us that this was 30 pieces of silver, about a thousand pounds. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. So we're going to look at five lessons from the tragic story of Judas. The first lesson is this it's possible to be in church and yet in your heart be far from God. I just want you to think about this for just a moment. Judas has been, for the last three years, in the best church that you could possibly imagine being in. Who's the lead pastor? Jesus. Who's preaching this Sunday? It's Jesus again. Who's leading small group this week? It's Jesus. Who's leading the prayer meeting? It's the Son of God. It's Jesus. Every single week, this is what Judas experiences. Some of his fellow congregation are a bit mouthy at times, but they're good guys. They're all wholeheartedly following Jesus. He's in church. He's in church every single week. He, he doesn't just get to hear the best Bible teaching in the world, but he gets to see it worked out. He gets to see Jesus' example day in, day out. It's possible, Judas shows us, to be in church and yet in your heart be far from God. We read in John chapter 6 that actually Judas didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. He's coming along. He's going through the motions. He's serving. He's serving. He's the treasurer of the group. So people donated money to Jesus and his disciples so that wherever they traveled, they'd have enough food and places to stay. So he's serving as the treasurer. He's, the, he's got a role. He's got a title. He's going through the motions. He's turning up week in, week out. And yet in his heart, he's far from God. Judas shows us that it's possible to, on the outside, look like you have it all together, but underneath the surface actually have a heart that's cold towards God, that has a heart that doesn't really believe. Maybe this is your situation. Maybe you're in church. Maybe you've come to church for years. Maybe you've been in church for decades, and you may even serve and give, and you may even have a role. You may even have respect from others, and yet in your heart, you just know I'm going through the motions. I'm, I'm cold inside. I don't really desire God. I don't really believe, actually, deep down. Listen, the most important thing is that you come to know Jesus, that you come to believe in him, that you come to walk with him. Jesus is, is much more interested in you walking with him than you working for him. He's much more interested in that. And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives a stark warning to those who are listening to his teaching. He says, there's going to be some of you that you say, Lord, Lord, we did this for you. We did that for you. We even did these impressive things. And Jesus is going to say, some of you who say, Lord, Lord, I will say, get away from me. I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? You can today cast yourself upon him. Today you can say, Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. You can begin a relationship with him today. Maybe that's your situation. Maybe you've come along as a child and you've been brought along to church by parents and you're still doing it because you kind of want to please them. You might be going through the motions week in, week out, but not actually know this Jesus. 
The same can be said of those actually who perhaps once burnt bright for Jesus. Maybe once there was a moment where you would do anything for Jesus and you believed and you didn't just believe you were passionate about him, but things have grown cold a little. And, and you can recognize, you know, I'm just going through the motions. I'm just turning up. In fact, after this year, this could have been a year where really things became very tricky for you in your walk with God. I read this week, one in five people um, were diagnosed with depression during this lockdown. I think it was much more than that, actually. People who really struggled. And it's, it's true that Christians have struggled a lot in this time. Not immune to this. And it might be that you've kind of found yourself struggling this year and thinking, I don't, I don't know if I even believe in God anymore. A friend of mine just a few days ago wrote to me and just said, I... I once was passionate for God, and now I don't, I'm not even sure if I believe anymore. I, I've, a friend of mine who's gone through real difficulty, not trivial stuff, really hard stuff, and then on top of it this year, with this, all the disruption that's come, I'm so glad he reached out to me. We're going to get together, and we're going to walk and talk. I'm just going to listen, and then we're going to pray. He's saying, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be cold in my heart towards God. I want to be back where I was. I'm so, I respect him more for reaching out to me. I really do. Because he doesn't want to be in that place. And some of us, we might think, I'm in that place, and yet I've gone through years of showing up and putting on a good front. And so I don't think I can tell anyone, because what would they think of me? Listen, it takes a bit of pain and a bit of humility, a bit of willing, willingness to let go of, kind of people's perceptions of you. But you've got to tell someone. Please tell someone today. If you're, if you're in that place and you're just like, I once burnt bright for Jesus and now I'm cold in my heart. Please tell someone. Please write to someone this week or take someone aside in the car park and just say, please can you pray for me? Can we get together and talk? It's so important. The most important thing about you is your devotion to Jesus. He, he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. He wants to hear from you. And, and you might think, I can't tell anyone because I, serve, I'm, I might even be someone who serves up front in some ways. I can't tell someone. Listen, he wants you to walk with him. He wants to know you. And he wants you to know him. Jesus has mercy for you. Where you've messed up, where you've doubted, where you've kind of just been so low, he's, he's got mercy for you. Second lesson that we learn is that it's possible to hear great Bible teaching but remain unchanged. Can you imagine listening to Jesus day in, day out? I mean, even when he's not got the crowds around him, like when you've got him around the table or around the campfire, wow, the wisdom just pouring out from Jesus day in, day out. And yet, and yet, it's possible to hear that and remain unchanged. Judas, we know, is the treasurer of the group, and we read in John chapter 12, that he was stealing money from the group. So Jesus goes to his friend's house. He's got three best mates called Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They're, they're siblings. They house share. And he goes to their house, and Mary takes out a bottle of perfume that is worth 25 grand. Okay, guys, you might have bought your wife some perfume once upon a time and thought, this is a bit expensive. You look at the price and think, shall I get the smaller bottle or the bigger one? And you're having this moment, what am I going to look like if I get the smaller one? Listen, this bottle of perfume is a year's wages, 25 grand's worth of perfume. 
And it's not, a, it's not the kind of perfume that you can just unscrew a little bit and spray a little bit. It's the type of perfume that you have to break open in order to use. It's for special occasions like weddings and stuff. Okay, so Mary takes a bottle of perfume that's worth 25 grand and she breaks it open and starts to wash Jesus' feet. And Judas is disgusted at this. He's absolutely disgusted. And he says in John 12, it says, Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. So Judas is stealing money that's been given to Jesus' ministry in order that they might have, be up, upheld as they travel around. He's stealing. He doesn't care for the poor. And yet he would have heard Jesus. I don't think Jesus just preached the sermon once where he said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be. I don't think Jesus just preached that once. I think that was one of his regular, he brought out that sermon quite a lot. In fact, Jesus spoke into possessions and money a lot. And so please pray for us who regularly preach and teach because we want to be courageous like Jesus and, and, and speak into these things that he spoke about. And he did speak about these things a lot. And so we need that courage because it's not something that we want to do in the natural. He spoke into to money and possessions a lot. We're going to come on to the why in a minute. But Judas would have heard that sermon on a number of occasions and probably would have thought to himself at times, I need to tell someone. I need to tell someone about what I've been doing. I must tell Peter. I must tell Andrew. But what would they think of me? Surely I'm going to be rejected. Surely I'm going to be kicked out of this group. If I told someone. And he kind of had this sort of half moment of conviction. A moment of half conviction. He, he was maybe convicted enough to think, I must do something about that, but then didn't do anything about it. And so it's possible to, to hear great Bible teaching and remain unchanged. Listen, if you hear God's voice today, do not harden your heart. You harden your heart when you hear his voice and do nothing about it. And you, you just kind of get a harder and harder heart. Do not harden your heart. If you hear his voice today, if you hear him putting his finger on some things, that relationship that just needs to be cut off, or, or that gossip that just needs to stop, and you just maybe to own it to your friends or colleagues and say, Look, I've gossiped and I need to stop. Or whatever it may be, those, those fiddling of those taxes, that dishonesty in the area of money. If you hear God's voice today, don't harden your heart. Do something about it. Confess your sins to someone. In, in the book of James, in chapter 5, this is Jesus' brother writing. He says, confess your sins to one another that you may be healed. So there's actually something of a healing that comes when we confess our sins to someone. When we say, I just, I'm struggling with this. Would you pray with me? Would you get before God with me on this? So it's possible to hear great teaching, great truths week in, week out, but be unchanged. The third lesson that Jesus, Judas teaches us is that the love of money causes ruin and destruction. There is an evil enemy at work in the world called Satan, called the devil. We see him at work in this passage. I mean, how can we not see that. That sounds so, to, to, just at first, if you're just thinking, you've come in today and you're thinking, I'm, I'm just checking all of this out, you might think, Satan, come on, that's ridiculous. Well, just think for a moment about the evil we see in the world. 
Just, just take a moment to think of it. The depravity in the world. There is an enemy at work in it all. And sometimes because of the kind of um, fantasy genre of films that are very popular at the moment, um, kind of evil spirits and forces can kind of be a bit trivialized. Okay, I'm not saying, you know, don't watch Harry Potter or whatever. I've never watched a Harry Potter film and I'm living a perfectly fulfilled life, just to say that. My wife has watched them, she enjoys them. I, I'm, I'm not worried about watching them, okay? I'm, I'm not saying don't watch them. But I'm saying that when it comes to sort of fantasy genre and all that kind of stuff, it, it's kind of trivialized forces of evil to the point where it's just, it's just entertainment. But there's an evil enemy at work in the world and he seeks to... To, to steal and, and kill and destroy. That's what he's come to do. That's what Jesus says. And he's come to, to drag us away from keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus and that we might have our eyes fixed on things of this world. And so, friends, I just want you to, to see that. One of, the, one of the key things is the love of money. That's one of the key strategies of our enemy, the devil, is the love of money. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul writes... The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. This is something that the Bible actually tells us to keep ourselves from. That's what the writer to the Hebrew says. Keep yourselves free from the love of money. So there's something that we can proactively seek to do to keep ourselves free from the love of money. Why? Why is that, that even written about several times? Because the love of money leads to all kinds of evil. On a micro level, it leads to us craving more and more and more because the ideal amount of money to earn is just a little bit more, isn't it? It's just a little bit more than I have. I don't want to be really, really rich, so I just want a little bit more. And it kind of leads us to push other people to the side, push family to the side perhaps, in order to pursue just a little bit more. It happens on a micro level, it happens on a macro level, it happens on a national level where countries seeking that little bit more will go to war with other countries. It, happen, it causes ruin and destruction. And as we see from that verse in, in 1 Timothy 6, it, some who have wandered from the faith just seeking that little bit more, laying, laying behind the things of God in order to seek a little bit more. And so the Bible says, keep yourself free from the love of money. Let that be in our prayers, Hope Church. Let it be in our prayers that we don't uh, fall prey to this. This is in my prayers a lot at the moment. We're, we're due some inheritance later this year, and I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to be seduced by this. I, I want to be free from the love of money. I want every decision to be laid before you. I don't want to just kind of think, oh, goody, I'm going to suddenly get some money. No, I want, I want to be putting it all before God. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Keep yourselves free from it. It doesn't satisfy. I mean, Judas has already been taking from the kitty, and now he wants just 30, 30 pieces of silver more, and then he ends up in remorse giving it all away again after all of this because he just realizes what he's done. It causes destruction. In Judas's case, it leads to an extreme end. He ends up committing suicide. It probably won't end up in such an extreme end for all of us, but the love of money will cause ruin and destruction. It will cause pain. Unchecked, the love of money will ruin us. Fourth lesson is this. Jesus' disciples are not to be earthly-minded. Judas loved money, and his, his mind was on the things of this earth. And Jesus is, is, is saying to his disciples, this, 
there's, there's ways of heaven and there's, there's ways of earth. At one point, his disciples are sort of arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus says, look, the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, that's the people who don't know God, he says, they like to lord it over each other. They like to be the boss. They like to kind of you know, feel like the big man and, and squash other people. And he says, not so with you. There's some things that are to be not so with you as followers of Jesus. And, and, and earthly mindedness is one of those things. It's not to be the case for you. Others are running after kind of all kinds of stuff. Not so with you. Have your minds fixed on the things of heaven. So that means not having bucket lists. I mean, I don't think that's a massively harmful thing, but if we genuinely are thinking, here's the amazing things I want to do or buy or see before I die, then that's really kind of not having our minds fixed on heaven, is it? It's not having our minds fixed on the eternal things. And in Colossians 3, this amazing passage, Paul writes the following, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, wow, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. What a passage. Wow. He's saying, you, since you have been raised to new life. He's not saying, if you want forgiveness and new life, do all of these things. He's not saying, you know, if you really want to be forgiven by Jesus and know him, you've got to get rid of this, 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 and this, and this. He's only saying, he's, no, he's saying, since you have been raised to new life, you have been raised to new life. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, if you've thrown yourself upon him and seen that you cannot save yourself, but only Jesus can, since You've done those things. You've been raised to new life in him. And now we've, we've put some things off and we put some things to death that are, that are not so for us who follow Jesus. We put them to death. We say, this is not me anymore. I don't go there anymore because I'm a, I'm a new creation in Jesus. And Jesus is my life. And Jesus is, I'm going to share in all of his glory one day. Wow. You're going to share in all of the glory of Jesus one day. You're going to behold him for all he's worth. You're going to get that one day. And so we don't hanker after the things of this earth. We don't set our minds on the things of this earth. You've been raised to new life in Jesus. I want you to imagine for a moment, uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus, who we've just mentioned, he dies, okay? And just actually quite, quite uh, near to these events that we're just reading about, Jesus has just come into Jerusalem having just raised Lazarus from the grave. He's been dead for a few days. Jesus raises him to life. 
when they sat down for dinner, after Jesus had done that, can you imagine whose eyes Lazarus, uh, who's, who's, uh, <laughs> who Lazarus was looking at? Can you imagine who's, who Lazarus was looking at over dinner? He was looking at Jesus. I don't think he's going to be distracted by other things, is he? He's just raised me from the dead. He's just raised me from the dead. I'm, I'm, I'm fixated on Jesus. This is, what it, this is what this passage is getting at. Judas didn't fix his eyes on the unseen eternal. But Jesus, our great captain, he did fix his eyes on the unseen eternal. He left his throne of endless glory for a cradle in the dirt. He came and he endured the cross because he saw to the other side. He saw to the other side that the joy that was a, there was a joy set before him that he was looking to, which was the salvation of you and I, which was eternity with you and I, which was the well done of the Father. He saw, he saw something of the eternity, and that enabled him to come to this earth and lay down his life for us on the cross, to hang there, to endure the agony of the cross. And he has something wonderful in mind for us. He has joy for us. He's going to dramatically fix things. Jesus, the carpenter, <laughs> the cosmic carpenter, he's going to restore things. Some of you like restoring things. My friend is just restoring a camper van. And uh, some of you love to restore things. You love to restore old furniture. Well, Jesus is going to create the new heavens and a new earth. And the, the, the best things that we enjoy in this life are only a foretaste of what is to come. The best food and drink, the best music, best culture is only a foretaste of what is to come. Jesus is going to create the earth anew and it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious. And he has that for us, friends. And, and we are not to be earthly minded. We're to be eternally minded people. He's going to do it. He's promised it and he will surely do it. Final lesson that we learn, <clears throat> if I can find my pointers. final lesson that we learn from Judas and this tragic story is that God is sovereign and can even work through human sin. I said it last week, God doesn't cause evil, but he can work through evil. And these six verses that we've read from Luke 22, they paint a dreadful picture, don't they? We see the, the influence of Satan in Judas's life. We see deceit. We see plotting. We see all these awful things. And next week and in the weeks to come, we're going to see Jesus in agony as he heads towards his death on the cross. It seems awful. It seems too much. It seemed at this point that God was not in control. It seemed like God didn't know what he was doing. And yet this story, and because we have the benefit of the hindsight of what happens next, we see that God is in control even when it looks like he's not. And even when it looks like all things are going wrong, God is still on the throne. And even when it looks like he's losing a few battles, he always ends up the victor. He's preparing the ultimate Passover sacrifice. Just as the Jewish people sacrificed the lamb and painted its blood above their doors so that the angel of death might pass over them when it came by. So God is preparing for Jesus to be the ultimate Passover sacrifice. That he, the, the blameless one, that he, the sinless one, would be sacrificed upon the cross 
so that those who trust in him, so that those who believe in him might be washed in the blood of the Lamb, so they might know ultimate security about their future. Whatever life may throw at them, they can know ultimate security. I don't know if you have quite taken that on board. You can know ultimate security forever if you know this Jesus and if you've known that you've been washed in his blood. And it sounds so horrific, doesn't it? It sounds so like to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. It means, friends, accepting that you cannot save yourself. It means acknowledging that you are unclean before God. You are sinful before God. You need to be washed. And it's on the cross that Jesus' blood was spilt so that those who trust in him might kind of know a complete washing, know a complete cleansing of all of their wrongdoing, wrong thinking, wrong speaking, and can walk blameless before God. And he just keeps flowing with mercy for you and grace for you. Even when it looked like God was out, it didn't have control, he was still preparing the ultimate Passover sacrifice. This reminds me of another story that we read about in the Old Testament where a man called Joseph, who was the beloved son of his father, was sold into slavery by his jealous brothers for 20 pieces of silver. And he went through many trials. He ended up in prison. And then he was exalted to the highest place given authority in his nation. And his brothers come to him, and they're fearful of him because they know that years ago they sold him into slavery. And Joseph says to them, you, what you, meant to, you meant to do evil against me, but God brought about good for the salvation of many lives. So what you meant for evil, God turned around for good, for the salvation of many. This is what's going on here. Jesus the innocent one, the one who's done no wrong, the beloved son of the father, comes into our world and he goes through many trials. He's sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. And he dies on the cross for us, for the salvation of many lives. And we're going we're gonna to just simply celebrate this mercy and this grace together as we finish. And I want to appeal to you as we sing, the band can just come and be ready. As we sing, there's several responses here. I believe that for some, you've just known this kind of going through the motions for years. You've never, ever cast yourself upon Jesus and said, Lord, I give my all to you. I trust you. I believe in you. Would you forgive me and cleanse me in your blood and make me your child? I don't know if you've ever done that. You may never have done that. You may have gone through the motions for years and never done that. And there's an opportunity for you to do that now as we sing. Just put it in your own words to Jesus. And when you've done that, tell someone. Please tell someone so that we can help you in your next steps, we can baptize you, we can help you walk in the ways of Jesus. Maybe you are, you've already made that step, maybe years ago, and you just know, I've become cold in my heart. I've just gone, I've grown cold, and even when I hear great truths, I'm not excited by them anymore. Listen, today, let this today be a day where you say, I'm going to tell someone. I'm going to tell someone and I'm going to walk with them and I'm going, to, I'm going to get to that place again where 
I'm walking with God daily. I'm passionate about him again. I'm not going to be satisfied to just go through the motions. Maybe you're living in secret sin like Judas was. And today is a day where you need to tell someone so that you, as, as we read in James, you know, confess your sins so that you may be healed. So you just don't kind of go on with this pretense of, I can deal with this on my own, that I can get by on my own in this. Tell someone today. Friends, let us be those who are fixing our mind on the things of eternity. I want to pray for us that we would have that mindset this week and in the weeks to come. Should we stand where we are? Maybe you might just even want to just, if you feel comfortable to just raise up your hands, just to say, Lord, I surrender to you. Lord, I know you have everything I need. Just a, a way of posturing yourself. Lord God, we come to you now and we thank you so much that you have great mercy for us. Thank you that you've grace for us. You've got boundless, limitless love for us. You've got waterfalls, oceans of grace for us to, uh, to experience. Lord, I pray that right now anyone who just recognizes that they've grown cold in their hearts, where their passion was once there and it's no longer there, I pray that right now you'd, uh, you'd stir people. I pray that even the truth that we sing and that we've heard uh, today would stir up worship within our hearts. Pray for anyone who doesn't know you and who has never made that step. Lord, I pray that right now would be the moment of salvation for many. Lord God, would you come and save people right now? May we be standing with brothers and sisters in the weeks to come, baptizing them. Let it be, Lord. We want to be heavenly minded. We want to be eternally minded people, Lord. You can say that under your breath or out loud to him. I want this for my life, Lord. I want to be eternally minded. I don't want to be fixing my eyes on what I can get in this life, what I can experience in this life. I want to be eternally minded. I want to have my eyes fixed on Jesus, who is my life and whose glory I will experience one day. I want to, Lord, I want to fix my mind on these things, the eternal weight of glory that is going to be ours. Lord, help me to do that this week. Lord, I want to day by day choose to, to lift my eyes to you. I want that for my brothers and sisters here. We may be rejoicing in all that you've given us. Help us to be free from the love of money. Help us to keep our lives free from the love of money. Lord God, we don't want to get caught in that trap. We don't want to find that just as we kind of allow ourselves to pursue more and more that we just wander from the faith. No, we want to be free from the love of money. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need your help in this. We love you. We love you and we worship you. We say, Jesus, you are glorious. You're wonderful. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our sacrificial lamb. You're the lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. You're the one who went to the cross for us. And we praise you and we worship you and we adore you. Lord Jesus, it's all about you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's worship this Jesus in the time that we have remaining.